Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. It's about time we talk to a real teacher, someone who started off in primary and then worked out that she just wanted to teach everyone and everything. Over 33 years, Kirsten Ferdinand been working in the Department of Education in Queensland. She's worked in rural and remote communities. She's worked in regional and metropolitan state schools. She's been a teacher, a head of curriculum, a deputy principal, and a principal. She is perhaps the most qualified person for us to be talking to from the chalk face at the moment about everything that's going on. And not only that, she's been building a brand new school and a brand new school culture from the ground up. I'm so excited to be talking with Kirsten Ferdinand today. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 8 sponsor? EDAPT Education brings together all your student data into one platform. Improve the growth and well-being of all students in your school. EDAPT is offering their learner profile and school data platform free for a term for the first time exclusive to you, our Game Changers listeners. Simply visit edapt.education forward slash game changes that's edapt.education forward slash game changes let's go i'm really excited to be with you again phil how is uh, the wonderful fitzroy treating you today look fitzroy is treating me very very well today adriano but i'm concerned about you i'm concerned about you over in sunshine west with only the football results of of the carlton football club to keep your spirits up and that wouldn't be doing a good job for you at the moment would it now, look, ordinarily, no, they're, they're actually pretty pathetic. But fortunately, we've had a, a resounding success with our Australian Olympic team that has kept us energised and engaged during uh, our revolving door of lockdown and open up and then lockdown and then open up again. Anyway, Phil, enough of this nonsense. Let's oh, get... But, no, 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 but just quickly, quick shout out to Harry Garside, who, man, you, you, you're an absolute legend. Um, carry on, Adriano. Oh, that's the young boxing guy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. What a legend he is. What, what, what a wonderful example of a life of purpose. And I believe that's what we're talking about in this series, Adriano. We are. Series eight. Can you imagine that, Phil? Another series uh, that we're knocking out. Well, we're very fortunate for our very first guest to be joining us. And thank you for that wonderful introduction, Phil. Kirsten, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut straight to the very first question, the question that we ask all of our Game Changer guests. And that is, can you tell us a little bit about your own story and how you've gotten to where you are today? So, yeah, thanks. So, um, as Phil mentioned, I have been in education for 33 years. So, Department of Education in Queensland, began as a primary school teacher, but through my journey across schools and in schools all through Queensland, had an opportunity to start working in what we called high tops, P10, so prep to year 10. And it was that sort of leap into that world where I started to develop not just curriculum for that school, but I was working in the um, Mornington Island, an Aboriginal community in the Gulf of Carpentaria. So schools in all of the Cape and Gulf schools actually engaged with me to help them create curriculum and design curriculum to support their P to 10 journeys. So 
certainly came from a passion of curriculum um, and knowing that the right curriculum can make a big difference in any young person's life um, and particularly those students um, that are disengaging and Aboriginal or students with barriers. You know, if you could get something that half engages kids, you, you're halfway there getting them to school and, and in that learning journey. So from, yeah, from there um, was absolutely then through to um, opportunities, stepping into a, a deputy principal position in Mount Isa and spent a um, number of years there. But as a mother of um, sons that were finishing their primary schooling, it was really important to, to look at getting them back into a town centre and an area for them to pursue their their passions and careers in senior secondary. So moved to back to the sunny Sunshine Coast where I um, led the senior or the secondary phase of Kiwana Water State College and then went into principalship in Bray Park. And it was that probably that opportunity where you talk, everyone talks about, you know, you walk into school and it's 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 a broken it's a broken school. Um, mm -hmm. The the kids don't have um, aspirations, let alone belief in themselves. Teachers didn't have belief in themselves. So when you've got to pick people up and you've got to create a clear vision, mm -hmm. but a, but also belief for kids that they could achieve and they could do well. And um, I spent four years there, and in two thousand and seventeen was awarded. Um, state school of the year so that was pretty exciting and what that did for that community um, for the teachers for the students and for the the students potential students coming there you know the school um, grew in population doubled um, you know in the after those years so um, then yeah put my hand up to say well I'm ready for my next challenge which was um, what was the the new um, secondary vertical high school in Brisbane that was being made or built in collaboration with the University of Queensland. So a school that had a very large education brief from what people believed it could possibly be. And, you know, I certainly was excited to give that, a, and as we say in, in Queensland, give it a crack and <laughs> give it a go. And so was successful, um, successfully appointed to the position. So then it was, yeah, on my own for, you know, six, nine months trying to work out what what vision did I believe and what did I believe this school could be? And over the last 12, 18 months, um, it's been putting the pieces together. So creating a team around me who shared my vision and passion for students and more so not just students, but understanding that every student is important and how do we put the student at the centre of everything that we do? because um, those of you that have been in education for a long time know that often we're very, we're very clearly dictated by a set of policies and processes and people's long-standing beliefs of what education should be and how it should be done. Um, so I wanted to rattle the cage a little bit and say I think education can be done differently um, and certainly not taking away from the ultimate end goal is for every student to be successful in whatever they want to do. And whether that's, you know, in, you know, around the ATAR and 99 or whether that's your, your international baccalaureate that the student is going on to explore um, university and careers and degrees that they want to. But it's about that what does 100% successful mean? And for some people, it's not going to university. It's about being a good person with life choices, but equally knows the moment I step outside of school, I can 
I can be the best person in terms of my entrepreneurial skills. I can be a collaborator. I can go out there and I can create what has never been created before. So that was my passion and still is my passion. Um, and to, you know, talk about the journey to create that now. Um, and I know you guys will ask some questions, but the exciting thing is you worry as a, as a principal and you worry as the person leading leading the, the, the way in which we're doing things a little bit differently, that are you getting it right? Are you, are you ticking the right boxes? Are the things that you're challenging and putting in place, are they the right things? And someone walked up to me on the first day of school opening this year and after our initial assembly and the kids were in their uniforms and they're all off going to classes and someone from central office came up to me and said, oh, you must be happy now, you can breathe, you know, you've done all the hard work and here it is. And I said, no, 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 this is where the hard work starts. Yeah, absolutely. Because I just said, yeah. <laughs> I've, everything I've created is on paper and all the people around me are a new team, but the work starts now and I won't relax and I won't have my first glass of champagne to celebrate anything until I start to see some outcomes and whether that's kids, you know, um, showing, you know, anecdotally engagement, whether that's attending every day, um, your baseline academic data, all of, until I start to see data or, you know, outcomes, I won't sit back and relax. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, we've got some initial data sets now which are coming in and I have had a glass of champagne. Um, <laughs> but, again, it's we're, we're very early days on but... I and my team are very grateful that we challenged some of the conventions around what has been done before and are starting to put in place some amazing opportunities for our kids. Kirsten, you are, to, to, to use a phrase that both my grandmother used, um, but also the, my, my time in Brisbane, I might have heard a few times, you're not backwards in coming forwards, are you? you no. You, you, <laughs> And I really like this. You know, we, earlier in this series, we talked with the remarkable Will Richardson um, uh, from the United States uh, from the Big Questions Institute. And, and I remarked then about the Jim Collins good to great thing about humility and willpower and the, and the capacity to bridge the apparently irreconcilable gap between those two. And everything that you do speaks of, of conviction and it speaks of purpose. So I want to tease out a few of those things. I want you to imagine that you're in front of a group of new parents and it's a, it's a coffee setting. You've done the formal, you've done the formal thing and there's a group of, you know, six or seven around you in that beautiful new library of yours. And, and they've all got their little choice of which, which coffee or tea they're going to have. Like you served when I went up there and visited you guys there. So beautiful hospitality and you making people feel welcome. And there's a the group of parents around you and they're all from different backgrounds. And, and one of them says, so what is this novo discere mundo thing, this learning for a new world? And you've got 30 seconds before their attention is going to be onto something else. How would you explain learning for a new world in 30 seconds? Well, it's about that we're not telling students what their, their future is going to be and we're not going to give them the set of instructions that they'll go to as a rule book to say what they can do after they leave school. The learning for a new world is that we're creating young people who are developing the competencies 
so that they can create what that next world is. So we talk about, and we do, you know, we're embracing the learner first framework. So we, th we talk about self-understanding. So our students know who they are, how they connect with the world and how they connect through learning and people, but then contributing. How do they contribute? And how may they contribute to a life not that we're telling them is out there and is for them, but a life that they want to create and a life that they want to explore and, and the what's possible. So there's a whole bunch of self-determination stuff in there, isn't there, which flips learning completely around. Yep. And I'm just delighted to hear you mentioning Learner First and, and the work of the remarkable Jojo McKechn, mm -hmm. um, our, our dear, dear friend and admired colleague. I want you to imagine that um, the parents have listened to you saying that and then there's one of the parents says, oh, that's very interesting. Now, I was watching Simon Sinek the other day and he said it all starts with why. So can you tell me, Kirsten, what is your why? What is your life of purpose? Yeah, so interesting you say that because I start with why in everything um, with my staff and even for my students. I talk about that things, it starts with why. And for our school, we talk about every student succeeding and that's our why. And even though our Department of Education has been smart and have used that as their vision for the last four or five years, every student succeeding and what that means, is my why every student succeeding is very different. Because if we're saying every student succeeding, we can't have targets that say 90% of students will receive an A to this or 90% of our students will turn up to school, you know, um, every, every day. It, my targets are 100%. So we, and I just say that every student who comes to Brisbane South State Secondary College or has ever stepped foot in any of my other schools that I've been part of, is an individual and do we know that student do we know what they who they are in their learning journey but equally do they know who they are and what are we doing to make sure we support that so my my why also was very clear in regards to we are expected as um, state educators to create um, an annual implementation plan so your school strategic plan and from that you're supposed to have a school improvement agenda so interestingly, they came out and asked me where my school improvement agenda was. And I said, well, I actually don't have a school improvement agenda. I'm a new school. I have a school achievement agenda. Would you like to see that? Mm -hmm. And so we unpacked that my percentages are 100% because if I don't have a child succeeding or I don't have a child who's successful across a whole lot of domains, I want to know why. And I also equally want to know what, what, what can we do? What are the reasons they're not? But equally, what can we be doing to support them? And probably, you know, going back, taking back a step, why am I so passionate about this? You know, I'm, I came out of state education myself. Uh, I was first in family to um, go to university. Um, I came from, you know, a small country town. Not that my parents didn't have aspirations for me. But I just knew that going to the state school where I did and going to the community where I did and being a female and all of those things, if it wasn't for me and maybe a couple of teachers actually having belief that I could do it, the system would have just allowed me to go and be that um, hospitality worker, that clerical worker. Not saying there's anything wrong with that, but, but I wanted more. Um, and yeah, that, and that, you, just, you, yeah. You, you weren't meant to do that. Like there's nothing, there's a, <laughs> you know, and to take you back to what you were talking about earlier, 
you know, your vision for learning and your school's vision for your learning and your why embraces the multiple different pathways that speak to the inner drive of the individual. The, the, the key around this is you've got to be able to do the thing which is your thing, you know, it's a, and, and hearing you talk about it, you know, it's about, you know, first in your family to go to university and so on, Adriana, and I might know a little bit about those sorts of things as well, you know, but, you know, my dad was, a, my dad was an artist. He got, I think, you know, the first PhD in creative arts from the University of New South, uh, Newcastle at, um, at the age of 75. Um, he always wanted to be an artist, but his dad turned around to him and said, no, you got to go and be an architect because that's a better job. And he was a good architect and, you know, very worth. He didn't find his why until he was in his 60s and his 70s, really. Um, you know, so it's helping kids to find that why is so, so important. Yeah, and equally why the learner first framework is so important that, you know, it's a foundation of what we've created our whole learning framework in that and everything around is until the students know, the young people know who they are, what and what their journey is going to be and can be, they don't truly own it. And that's what I've said, you know, uh, we've got 12 and 13-year-olds here this year, you know, 13, uh, year, year sevens and um, 200 of them. And just in that first term, that journey, getting and helping them understand they need to know who they are. They need to know what it is, where they're currently at, but where do they want to get to and start to own their learning journey. Um, it has been the most powerful thing to watch this group of students do that. And we've got, you know, the full spectrum of where students are in regards to, um, you know, your demographics. So, you know, we've got 30 different um, nationalities and I would say we've probably got, you know, 100 different groups of demographics in terms of from the most affluent to, you know, students who are living in housing commission. But just to see across all of that how every student now can, you can walk into a room and you can ask them what are they learning about and why but equally, what's the biggest thing they've learnt this, this, you know, this term or in this unit of work and what are they most excited about? And um, the, the questions and what the students can tell you is when I talk about that, those data sets and those outcomes, like that anecdotally to me, I have those aha moments when I walk into a room and ask those questions of students because traditionally you walk into a year seven or eight classroom and you ask kids what they're learning about and it's, uh, I don't know whatever miss has got on the blackboard you know so empowering the students is one thing but um you know I'm complimentary of you know the the teaching staff I have around me too and I think um going out and actively recruiting the right people for the school um that's a challenge on its own but when you can sort of walk around and go yeah I think I've I think I've pretty much got it right you know and um and I did interview every single person and I'll continue to do that over the next couple of years as well. But um, interestingly, a couple of the, for the heads of departments, they said to me, you never once asked me about my curriculum area and my knowledge about my curriculum area in the interview. And I said, no. I said, I didn't know, need to know that, but I did ask you 
tell me about a time when you had to do whatever it takes to get a kid over the line. And yeah. I said, so they're, they're the things that matter. I said, if you're a head of department or you've been teaching this many years and you've applied for a particular subject area, I'm assuming you know that curriculum area with your references. But I said, the other stuff which I'm looking for, I, I, get, a, I get a clear sense of that in an interview. Yeah, and, and they're the necessary kind of character dispositions that we want from the adults in the lives of these young people so that we get a really good sense that they understand what it means to motivate young people to develop an intrinsic motivation to continue to learn and, and, and unlearn and relearn and so on. And, and I love how you're sharing so much about this piece about why and the pride that you have in the young people in your care around them taking ownership of their learning. Uh, they're taking ownership of their data. They're taking ownership of their direction. Uh, there's a real empowerment piece there that's um, quite profound and, and it's props to all of you. I, I do want to shift the conversation though a little bit because Phil asked you about your why and you kept bringing it back to the why of the school. So I'm going to push this a little bit further because yep. you're not going to get away with this yet. <laughs> um, clearly, there's a set of values that continue to inform your why and your how in terms of your own life of purpose. Can you share with our audience, where do you feel this set of values in service of the other has come from in your journey? Probably, you know, the people who I've respected and been mentored by coming through, you know, both as a young person and even early on in my career, um, and even today, you know, I still have um, a mentor that, you know, I check in with and he comes and does some work with me and just around my leadership, but, you know, my team's leadership. And it comes from a point of, yeah, certainly that belief that everyone is capable of something. Mm -hmm. And I think in life, too many people, we write too many people off for one reason or another. And for me, it's about integrity. And, you know, if I'm very big on, if I say I'm going to do something, I will do it. But equally to, um, I want to know what are, the, what are the barriers to why some things we don't do and to try and take away those barriers. But where did this curiosity start? I mean, you're talking about having great mentors in your profession, but before you even entered into this profession, there was a, there was a, there was a burning desire in you yeah, you know, I mean that's really apparent here, you know. Yeah. And so where 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 was that where where has that curiosity been born from? Or yeah, and um, I'm going to go right back and say my mother. Mm -hmm. My um, mother was um, a woman before her times. Yeah. She was a stay at home mum, like in the good old days. So she was working in the banks. Um, got married, had to give up work, so stayed home. Raised um, three, my sisters and I, so three girls. Where dad went off and and did the the work type of stuff, but she she was a smart woman. She she could run a household. You know, we lived where she grew everything in the garden. We had the chooks and the thing. We lived remote. You know, so we were, we we did all of that. But then she got to a stage and she just said to 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 dad and she said I'm gonna I'm starting my own business. Mm -hmm. So she created a business from scratch. So I don't know whether you, well, well before her times too. So pet cafe stores. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're all through Brisbane now. She started the first one and franchised them. Mm. So I watched her and I watched that, you know, we, we shouldn't put limits on things and we can't just pigeonhole people. Um, and I remember, you know, 
as a young person going to uni, I'd say to mum, are you going to be home, you know, this weekend if I come home from uni? Oh, I'll be around. So she was just, so she, she, she waited until she got us to a certain age and then she pursued her career. So right. in terms of having a real passion and not giving up on stuff, it, it, that certainly comes from my mother. But in terms of the education side of things and knowing that I can make a difference, I, from an early stage as a teacher, I just knew I, I could make a difference to a lot of kids in the yeah. classrooms that I taught. So, so, um, I'm hear, I'm, so I'm hearing that there was a really strong determination piece. Then yes. there was a perseverance piece. But but above all that, it's clear that mum's example was one of great resourcefulness, you know, oh, and, and maximise every everything uh, to, to put, not only be a provider, but to give you some really sage uh, life lessons. What What is it that you believe allows you to continue to be the best version of yourself? Oh, self-belief, absolutely. Um you know, there's there's probably not a, a day that I don't get out of bed and, and question some of the things that I've had to do. And yeah. this has not been a, an easy ride. Um, I've had a very challenging ride pulling this school together. It was part, this school and um, and setting everything up was part of a triple C investigation um, crime conduct in Queensland where mm. the Deputy Premier at the time involved herself in uh, the principal appointment uh, position. So prior to me applying for the job, it had actually previously been advertised and it had been advertised at a lower principal classification level. And I didn't even look at it because it was at the level that I was already at. Um, and there was a, apparently, and this was, you know, part of the investigation, a principal appointed, but the deputy premier didn't like her. Um, and basically they wiped the process and then re-advertised it to which I applied and was successful so I got dragged through a complete triple c investigation last year and my name was all through the media as I was apparently a political appointee it was yeah it was probably hard nine yeah. hard work nine months where you've worked your entire bum off to create a wonderful you know career and who you are and and you know and never once not done my job um, or had any, any any issue to the point where to everyone in Queensland and Brisbane who watched the news every night, I was dragged across the, the media saying that I was, um, it was, you know, corrupt principal, you know, I was an appointee. I was interviewed by the Triple C. Um, you know, it was found similarly that, you know, equally my process happened after. So I was found in myself and on paper and everything else that um, it had nothing to do with me. but through all of that you know I had to get lawyers onto the career mail because they wanted to plaster my name everywhere so this so just that part alone just having to you know get out of bed every morning and go do I really want to do this um and you know good people around me would you know ring me and say yes you do get out of bed and go and do it you're the only person that can do this so that self-belief that fundamentally I knew what I wanted to create with this school, but equally how I could do it. Um, and one of that was, yeah, putting the right people around me, but two, knowing that putting the student at the centre of everything in terms of what how you plan for it, then the work that needs to happen to make sure you're enacting that. Because that's why we say to everyone, um, you know, the, the Brisbane South State Secondary College, our vision is the new standard. And I said, but the new standard is not about its, you know, um, 
It's a shiny and bright new school. It's got whiz bang and everything else. The new standards, the stuff we do. So we can have everything on paper and in glossy magazines around our vision and our values, um, you know, who we say we are. But it's when you walk in here every day, what do you see? What does teaching and learning look like? What does student engagement look like? What does, if we talk about our learning framework, says the students at the centre of everything. So in terms of, you know, they, you know, they're unpacking their self-understanding, their connections and, and looking at their um, how they contribute back. What does that look like? Um, and there's all many, all of these different facets of already I can walk around the school and so can people who come in can already see those elements in play. So when we talk about the new standard in education, that was the something that I was passionate about. Um, you know, we talk about change agendas and, and you know, walking into a traditional school. Um, and change agendas are placed on, you know, school improvement or how can we do these things differently. But for me, the change agenda was the big notional change agenda that education in its current form and what we've been doing for so many years does not fit what needs to be in place for the future and for our kids too, if we talk about a life of purpose, for them to have that life of purpose and for them to be the creators of what's next, it needed to be the new standard. Kirsten, there's, there's, quite, there's, there's, there's so much there. There's, of course, everywhere you're getting to there around your frustration about wanting to find a better way and moving forward into a future where we're doing the things we should and connecting students with a life of purpose. Um, around there, I'm going to come to I'm going to come to that in a moment. But again, I want to come back to you because part of the aim of this series is for us to showcase people who are out there and doing the do, so to speak, um, so that listeners, fellow educators who are wondering, can I do this? Get the message: Yes, I can do this because other people are doing this as well. Now, if you look at your current situation, the two extraordinary things. First of all, you're being asked to establish essentially a model school within a state education system, which has not been hitherto characterised by a profound desire for change. So you, you've got an opportunity to go in there and say, here's a new thing, and we're going to build it from the ground up and do the culture and brand new and so on, which is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. And then there are the political circumstances around where you're coming in and around. I'm interested, and you, you talked essentially about your capacity to get up in the morning and get in there and make it all happen and build the culture and the things that we do. What are the things that you do that allow you to keep doing the thing that's clearly inside you? What, what, what are the habits that you've built up around yourself? And you're not allowed to talk about your colleagues here for at least the next no. few minutes. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll start this was probably a big trigger point a couple of years ago. I, from Bray Park, when I was at Bray Park, um, the regional director asked me to go into regional office and do a project with him for a little while. And so I stepped out of the school for, you know, I said, I'll do it for, you know, six months. And I could sense that he was looking at, you know, trying to bring me in to do an assistant regional director role, you know, stepping into that that space of supporting other principals in schools and the work that they were doing. About two, three weeks into the project, I just, I was honest with him and I said, this is killing me. I said, I need to be in a school. I said, I feel my hands are tired working in, in an environment, you know, an office environment. 
I was frustrated by, and I'm going to say public servants that clock in and clock out and morning tea, and you know, that frustrated me. Um, but the biggest thing was I realised I, I draw my energy from kids in schools and I felt that where I can make the most difference was not where I was. So that's when, and that was another reason why I applied for this, this job was I just knew, and I applied for a couple of other ones as well, um, promotional schools, where just to get back into the school and, and, and do that. And so drawing my energy from kids and people equally, I have a way of tapping into other people and, and kids in particular and inspiring them and giving them the will and the want and the purpose around why they're doing something and why it's important and for staff to come on board with my vision and ideas. And, and if someone asked me how do I do it, I wouldn't know. I don't think I could write a rule book of how you inspire people, but it is, I think, a lot about the person that you are and, and again, you know, if you say you're going to do something, you do something, but equally to, you know, for... For years, I've been one of those people that that do wake up at three or four o'clock in the morning and go, "I've got an idea. I, I, th- I think I've I've worked out another way I can do that." Or why aren't we doing things this way? And the drive you crazy. Oh yes. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes Mate, when, just when you have about two or three of those like, a week, it's oh, like, oh my god. And then you yes. write it down, and you think, yes. when am I going to sleep? <laughs> yeah. So I have these moments where I do I. You know, and things will churn through my head and and I just go, I just need to think on that. But then I'll go, why aren't we doing things this way? Or let's give this, what about this as an opportunity? And I know, you know, over past schools, I've created, you know, I've created crazy people with me. But equally too, I do that, but I'm giving permission to other people to do that a little bit too because I don't have all the answers, but they see how I do it and then talk about it. and. Um, and I just go, well, why, you know, let, let's look about what the possibilities are. And then, you know, on the flip side of that, I like my routines around my, my time. I think like I'm, I go to the gym every morning at five o'clock. I, I'm habitual like that. And I always say that that's my time. I get up, I get the blood moving and I've got my thinking time. And I love my thinking time. And if I'm not at the gym, I'm walking the dog if I'm up the Sunshine Coast. And, um, you know, just that time and I'm one of those silly women that talks to the dog up and down the beach. But he doesn't answer back and quite often he agrees with my out there thoughts. Well, look, I could have said... Sounds like the best companion. Well, I was about to say that's better than Earl the Puggle. He generally disapproves of most of what I say. But, you know, I I, I, I want to pick up on something here. And actually, we're going to... We're going to do something we haven't done before. We're going to do sharing time. And all three of us have to share something around this. It's a question that we, um, we, we, we asked to a few guests back in, um, in series one of Game Changers. But you just mentioned it then because I think this is a conversation where there are three people who tend to wake up in the middle of the night going, I've got an idea. What's an idea that you've tried that you would never do again? And I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to let you think first, Kirsten. I'm going to go to Adriano first. Adriana, what's an idea that you've tried that you would never do again? Oh, I, I really don't know, Phil. Um, do you have one? Yeah, I do. I do. I, um, I think the thing that I, I would never do again is I would never come up with the idea that um, giving lectures or presentations was about fitting as many words onto a PowerPoint as possible. I, I, like, and, you know, I did that for, 
I was the I was the emperor. I wasn't even the king of PowerPoint. I was the emperor of death by slide. And um, I've pretty much gone away from that completely now because I had lecturers like that, Phil. Yeah, exactly. I was one of those guys. All right. So so there's my there's my starter for ten. All right, Adriana, we're coming back to you, Kirsten. What's your idea? What's your thing that you would you would never do again? Yeah, I, I don't think it's so much of an idea, but one of the things I things that I would never do again is have a calendar of what we're going to do, how we're going to roll things out, and stick to it. <laughs> <laughs> Because one, you either kill people because then they don't get it straight away. It's your calendar. It's how you think things need to roll out, and you're not you've not got the withetness to just be watching how things are going on the ground. There it is. Okay, so okay, so we've got death by PowerPoint and ridiculous expectations about calendars. Adriano, what's the thing? Yeah, this this is less about an idea, um, but more around. I don't think I'll ever go into a learning community with assumptions again, uh, because it's very easy to go into it, into communities with assumptions about assuming that they know that, you know, that, that they know what's happening in the world right now around mm, the future of everything. And they know what are the mega trends um, or young people automatically know how to behave. <laughs> you know, I'm never going to make those assumptions uh, because it doesn't treat people with inherent dignity and uh, it makes me look like an ass. There we go. So, so I, I guess what I'm trying to get at here with this, this sort of line is that if we're going to think about living a life of purpose and inspiring other people to do it, and, and, and I'm really glad you used that word earlier, Kirsten, because a lot of us shy away from it, but actually part of our role is to in, inspire people. We need to challenge them, we need to support them, and we need to inspire them around that. But, you know, part of our challenge is to be a continuous learner and unlearner. Like we can't go into the future unless we shed the things of the past and that the act of shedding is not dishonouring the past. It just says it had a time, it had a place. Maybe it was a mistake, maybe it wasn't a mistake. But now, one way or another, it's just not relevant. How do you help teachers, Kirsten, shed things that aren't necessary? Yeah, I actually did a lot of work, um, Phil, as I onboarded my staff. So my heads of department came on board with me October last year. So I had them for three months to set up curriculum and structures and to have things ready that when the teachers were onboarded as well. I did a lot of work around, um, you know, Michael Fullan's nuanced leadership because you can you can know and be confident in your current setting and where you were, but importantly to transition or come into what we were creating anew was to unlearn. It was to say, yep, understand that as a leader in a role um, that you currently had or had may be very different to the skills and expectations of what you need to do moving forward. So we did a lot of work around that explicitly and even leadership for some of my guys, you know, unpacking, well, what does leadership actually mean? And that's, you know, moving to a preferred future and not to be the manager and not to be the person that writes on the paper and to um, actually pull back my, my leader, my, my hods to some point and say, Let's create the framework and the conditions for our teachers to thrive. So bringing teachers on board then, and even though they only had a short term, they were empowered that they were creating the learning 
that the students would engage in rather than walking into a school that says, yep, here you go, this is how we're going to do it. We had created, you know, very clearly and um, Phil, you heard when you came around the brand. And so we could talk about very clearly our vision, our values, you know, our purpose statements and things like that around the newsstand and who we were. And the HODs had, you know, in terms of a learning framework, started to put a skeleton around, well, what does this look like for our approach to learning that is different and using, looking at the spaces but for now, for our teachers, and we talk at engage, we talk about it as our teachers, particularly, is about engaging greatness. They're they're the they're, they're the pedagogical experts in the room and are fronting it. So, how are we doing that? But I've done a lot around the unlearning. There are elements that we we take with us, but importantly, don't get fixated on prior experiences and mindsets that then take away from our opportunities to thrive in this new, you know, the new standard, what we're creating. It's really interesting because, um, you know, so much of Fulham's work there around nuanced leadership is around this joint determination that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and it's great that you, you're spending energy in empowering the adults to unlock their possibility and, and help them really uh, step into the permission of their why and and then and then be that example to their students uh, and, and be comfortable in a place that is is in this constant state of kind of renewal on, on a journey. So thank you very much for that type of leadership and, and vision uh, that you're continuing to foster amongst the, the culture of the staff uh, because that's they're the ones that are at the coalface. They're the ones who are going to actually embed this vision. It's all well intended to have great statements but if it's not lived, it's just a great statement. And if they're the ones implementing the action, but you're investing in them as people first uh, and, and helping them become a learner first as well uh, in a very pronounced way. It's, it's quite powerful. I want to shift this though. You're helping them identify their purpose. You've shared with us your purpose. In our schools, how can we help young people to identify and claim their purpose and put it into practice? Yeah, and I, it, it's it's taking the time. We, you know, one of the things I was very deliberate about as well is is saying, okay, well, if we're going to have our students do work around their self understanding, how do they have, you know, what are their connections, and then how can they contribute? We need to find time in the week for them to do that and do that well. So we've actually created um, a time in the timetable every day that's called Learnerpreneur. And, you know, again, that's sort of one of my three o'clock in the morning, what are we calling this? You know, it can't just be home group. It can't just be whatever. It's got a purpose. And, you know, and it's a journey for our students from year seven to 12 that they will be creating or being entrepreneurial about who they are as learners. But then we talk about, well, what does that mean for a life of purpose? Through that, they get to explore what are their aspirations? What are their goals? But the work around how they can engage with one another and peers and we're lucky, you know, I'm just so blessed with where the school situation, we call it the knowledge corridor. You know, we've got the collaboration with the University of Queensland. We're partnership with um, the Ecosciences building, the, all the hospitals. The, like there's so much in this environment that our students have that are exposing them to 
the possibilities of the now, but also to will be reaching out to them as they get older around how can they contribute and support the what's possible. Um, if we think about even just the, the you know the, the medical sciences in this aspect and the environmental sciences, but it's that finding deliberate time and making time to do it and do it well because the student the students I want to say doesn't matter whether they're twelve or or seventeen. They they see through things that are you know that we don't value. Um, kids will call it. You know, if they don't see we're valuing something and we're just doing it because it's tokenistic, they they'll see through it. It won't become part of what is valued and what is a clear um, part of of what they do and how they engage in in their learning and and also that focus on them. Yeah. So our learnerpreneur time is about that. It is about also students um, owning their learning journey they'll um, in term four or at year sevens they'll do their first student-led conference where they will get all of the digital learning resources that they have and folios and share that with their parents or you know um, carers in regards to starting for the first time talk about who they are as a learner um, the evidence of learning that they have feedback how they've used feedback and equally to starting to talk about the what's next or the what's possibles for them. And um, that's, you know, even seeing some of the early signs of that's pretty exciting because we are using, um, you know, the Learner First rubrics and the, the um, deep learning um, rubrics around competencies. And students' self-reflection in those aspects is, yeah, it's pretty powerful. What a great place for us to finish today. Kirsten, it's been an absolute masterclass in um, contemporary school principalship from you today. Really, really appreciate your willingness to share with us your experiences and to reflect openly about the things that you do so that you can help um, provide that model for all of our Game Changer listeners out there. Thank you so much um, for being a part of what we're trying to do here in teaching people about a life of purpose you know, this, this is our classroom now and um, we love having people uh, to, to, to come into our classroom and to uh, the people who know the way, who go the way and who show the way and that's very much you. So thank you very much. Uh, good luck with uh, Brisbane South State Secondary College and I can't wait until the uh, COVID conditions allow me to get up there and, <laughs> and uh, go crawling all over it all, all, all over again. Yeah, yeah, and you would have seen, you'll see heaps of change now because it's all opened up and Lovely. it's spectacular so yeah it's a, a pretty amazing space but like you know like i said earlier it's about what we do in the space that's the powerful stuff the people that matter absolutely yeah. thank you very much because that was an amazing conversation thank you game changes is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school produced by oliver cummins for orbital productions and powered by a school for tomorrow game changes is available on spotify apple podcasts Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.